He says, you know, you sound so like him. But before I can answer, he says, but wait, what do you know about roofing? What did he teach you? I said, well, actually, thank you. No one has ever asked me that question. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, my partner Kurt and I tackle one topic or answer one question as best we can to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, grit stories. This week, our feature storyteller is Joanne Pelletier. Joanne lives up in Montreal, and she has got a nine-minute story. You can learn more about Joanne and her work in the show notes, where I've included her website. Stick around after Joanne is done, when Kurt and I discuss details and specificity. And when Kurt and I finish up, Joanne's got the final word. And before we dive in, I want to thank you, our listeners, for your support. We are on episode number 15, and we have now been heard in 17 countries. So thank you. If any of you want to work with me or Kurt, get some help with your stories. We've got classes and private coaching. We've got our information in the show notes. Reach out to us. And finally, this Sunday, January 31st, we're hosting a 99-second story grand slam. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. It is a lot of fun, and it's free. All right, let's dive in. So I have a landline, still, and I have a lifetime subscription to Roofing Canada. It's all the news that's fit to print on all matters roofing, both kind of a coincidence, both because of my dad. Years ago, I took over the landline and some of the mail from his consulting business. He was a roofer. He died about 15 years ago. He began his career as a metal tradesman, a tinsmith, a common working class trade in the 1940s. Eventually, he managed a roofing company and became a consultant. He was the guy, the roofing guy, the expert in Quebec, Ontario, and parts of the U.S., but he was also an artist. He was doing really cool things with metal long before it was hip. His work is found in weather vanes and gargoyles, metal sculpture, elaborate roofing designs in Montreal and other cities. Any car ride with my dad included a detailed narration on architecture focused exclusively on the roof. He would say, look up, look up. The roofers, the workers, they're the real artists. Every roof has a story. So the landline resulted in some calls looking for his services. Those stopped eventually. But there was one call that's always stayed with me. A man's voice sounding older and unsteady, calling, asking for my dad by name. Could I call back? I don't recognize the name. I don't know the voice. I'm curious. There's something about this call. I call back. He doesn't remember calling me. I explain, you know, you called my dad. He he still doesn't remember. He keeps saying, please tell me again, try again. And now it's just awkward. I try one more time. My father was the roofing guy 
I'm his daughter. You called? Maybe you worked with him. He says, yes, he remembers now. He apologizes. I do too. He tells me he's ill. He's forgetting. Yes, he did call. They had worked together. Were you a roofer? He says, no, something with buildings, architect, engineer. That's it. Yeah. He says my father was the only one he depended on anything related to construction. He knew everything. He says my father's reports were so good, he still had them. There was no one like your dad, he says. We keep talking. We, we don't know each other, but it feels like we're catching up. He says he doesn't remember my father dying. He's sorry, but wait, maybe he was at the funeral. He can't remember. Did we meet? I don't know. Did you do the eulogy? Yes, that was me. Maybe we did meet back then. Our conversation starts to flow now past that initial awkwardness. He asks, remind me, please. What did he die from? Was it cancer? I say yes. A glioblastoma multiform, a fast-moving brain tumor. He was gone within three months. <sighs> I recite the diagnosis like it was yesterday. We keep talking. Thirty minutes pass. My voice softens. His does too. He tells me about my dad. It's what I already know, but it's so nice to hear. Your father was kind and honest and hardworking. He was really smart. He was a swell, swell guy. Yeah. Yes, thank you. He, he was all those things. He was a great dad. I loved him. He says, you know, you sound so like him. But before I can answer, he says, but wait, what do you know about roofing? What did he teach you? I said, well, actually, thank you. No one has ever asked me that question. My roofing education began when I was very young, and I'm so happy to talk to you about it. You see, I never went up on the roof with my dad because I was terrified of heights. But I did go with him often to the office, to the roofing company, to the shop floor on the weekends, and it, it all comes back to me. Suddenly then, those Saturdays with my father teaching me how to use massive machines to cut metal. I learned about rivets and the ways hammers are used to shape copper. I learned about metal flashing. It's the thing, the metal covering that hugs the top of the building so water doesn't get in. I learned about messy, sticky, smelly cauldrons of hot tar, asphalt. It always stuck to my shoes. I tell the caller, wow. I forgot about this. On those trips to the office, my dad brought me a Coke every weekend. Oh, yeah, he, he bought me my first protractor. I, I had a few. I say, thank you. I'd, I'd forgotten about all this. He says, it's nice, right? You know, it sounds just like him. And then he adds, you know, every roof has a story. Hmm. Yeah. My dad used to say that all the time. I... I want to respond to that, but frankly, all I can think of to myself is goddamn grieving. It's a curious thing. As time passes, the ick and the sad and the pain when you lose someone, it passes. It passes so much you think you're going to forget them, and then it's back, suddenly. Not the pain and the sad, but the feeling of them with you. The memory of them, it's vivid. For me, it's a strange thing. A coke and a protractor brought him back, my wonderful dad. But really, every time I look at a roof in the city, metal, tin, copper, my father is everywhere. And now this call, every roof has a story. I think this call is different. I don't, I don't ask him why he's calling. An hour passes, 
and we're still talking now about roofing and engineering and our lives and our work, and we laugh about Roofing Canada. He tells me, you know, you can cancel it, but I know, but it's actually free, and if you sign up, they keep you for life. And I tell him, well, really, it reminds me of my father. And it's no coincidence. The landline, the mail, I transferred it over to me. At 80, my father was vibrant and working, and the brain tumor came, and it was over very quickly. And in the haste of managing his care and closing his business, my mom, my brother's grief, my own, I just transferred the phone in the mail. It was an efficient short-term solution. I felt like it was one less thing to do. Really, it was one more thing to hang on to. He says, your father must have been so proud of you. I think of your father a lot. I pause. My heart and my mind are racing. There's so much I want to ask. It's also great, this sudden, unexpected connection with someone on the phone who clearly had a connection to my father. I don't know what to say to him, but I do. Tell me, please, do you mind? Can I ask, were you close to my father? He pauses, his voice crackles. Your father... He was a great, great friend. He was a great man to me. It's not just any call. 90 minutes. We're still talking. And we're talking like we know we have to stop, but we can. And I say, hey, I'm really moved by this call and remembering my father and kind of meeting you. And look, I've never actually used this expression out loud, but it's in my head. And I'm just going to tell you, this is how I feel right now. My heart is full. He says, yeah me too. It feels like dad is with us right now, right? And he says, yeah, kind of. I say, hey, can I call you again? Would you like to call me again? We could talk about roofing. He says, maybe, but I don't have much longer. I won't remember this call. What's it like? I ask the forgetting. He can't answer. He says he lost his wife years ago. That was really hard. What he remembers now is from very long ago. Friends, some family, some work, but often, right now, my dad. You sound so like him, he says. I have to go, but I want you to know of all the things that I will forget and have forgotten, I will never forget your father. Keep looking up. Every roof has a story. I did call back weeks later. Why? <laughs> Goddamn grieving. I leave a message. The recording, it was his wife's voice. He told me he had never changed the message. He never changed the landline. He never called back. How's my heart? Yeah. Still full. So the other day, someone asked me um, about storytelling and where do all the details come from for certain storytellers? And uh, I just thought it was a great question. And I think one answer is sometimes when a storyteller digs down deep for that story, oh, that's always stuck with me. I want to tell that story. 
maybe it's not so hard to reclaim the details because, well, that story lives inside you because there's some emotional connection. Yeah. So, you know, imagine, you know, you're pulling something out from deep the ocean of the subconscious and you pull it out and attached to that thing are all these details. So really the storyteller's job is to choose, you know, to trim off any extraneous details and go, okay, I'm going to go with these. This idea, like when we listen to Joanne Pelletier's story, it's so thorough and, you know, it never stops. She somehow keeps it moving along. There isn't any part of it that makes you bored, actually, Sean. Like, we go right in. When you and I are talking about this story, we go right into how it lands on us. Well, that's this- what any good story does is it lands on you, right? For me, I don't have to think about it much. If it lands, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't, period. But that's that simple. And this one does. Uh, it's over. And I'm like, I'm thinking about all kinds of things. Well, you know what, Kurt? I'm actually just sort of ha- I have this sense, this feeling which is, I think, challenging to elicit in a story, which she does really well. But there's a few things that, that come up that sit with me after I hear it, and I really enjoyed it. The connection with her father, this phone call, loss, right? There's a lot of things that make you wonder or make you think, huh, thanks for sharing that. And you're thinking about maybe your own parents or a relationship or maybe even a phone call like that. Who knows? She's lost her dad. She tells us tells us it's been 15 years, but she's like, you know, goddamn grief. 15 years isn't, it doesn't get all better. It comes back to you. You miss, uh-huh. you miss the person naturally, but you also miss the feeling of being with that person. And then you worry that you might lose that feeling. This call, you know, it's one of many, but this is the one that stuck with me. She says, this is the one. And she calls the man back. This is like a blinking connection. Blinking, I mean, like off and on connection with a really important part of her past. Off and on because the man's memory is failing. He makes it clear, I'm not going to remember this conversation. But still, Joanne, because she loved her father, loves her father so much, she's, she's going to hang on. And she's going to, after a time, when the conversation starts to flow, she's going to start to think, oh, I see. What this man is now recalling because of me, because of this conversation, it makes my heart more full than it was. Mm, mm-hmm. You've had your own version of this. I've had my own version of this. When the conversation becomes one-sided, when you lose that person that you cared about. In my thoughts, sometimes I go to like that enthusiasm that that person had when they were alive. And that's what jumps out at me about this story. Her dad had this enthusiasm for something that to me and you is so easily overlooked. And I think Joanne's super aware of that. You know, we can, I can drive through the city, any city and over and not look up. Right. And she had this dad who was, he wasn't just into roofing and making a living. He had a supreme, he had a passion and enthusiasm. It's almost like a thing that you want to keep alive or that you, you keep alive in your heart that roofing thing or whatever it might be that the person that you loved, loved. Because it comes to not define them, but it certainly encapsulates or it it represents them in a really important way. When this person was alive, they gave all their heart to something, not just to me, but to this other thing. And they wanted to share that enthusiasm with me. That's what I get from Joanne's story. I know that doesn't always work in every family, but I was like, oh... I mean, in some families, you don't have a physical object that you can be referring to all around a city that reminds you. So literally everywhere she goes, she could be looking up and seeing her father. 
I don't have that. My father was a salesman. Nothing wrong with that, uh, but I don't see sales when I leave my house. So there's this other element of all around her in her physical universe is a, a, a reminder of not only her father, but a huge part of his life, his work, places he made friends like this guy who calls. It's artistic. She was a part of it as a young girl, even though she wasn't actually much into roofing herself because she was afraid of heights. You could just imagine her going to the office like she did and the bonding. And then all these years later, there's this story and she so clearly loves her dad. And I don't, I could be wrong here. Does she ever say, I love my dad? Or is it just so obviously clear throughout the story? The latter, I think. Yeah. Yeah. My dad. Thinking, yeah, this is a woman who's like real clear, you know, it is her dad. She doesn't need to um, stand back and no, this is her art. She's getting mm -hmm. close to it. And it's not my father, it's my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what makes me think, oh, this person's really on firm ground, firm footing. Great. It's a tiny little thing, but a lot of good stories are really a collection of really small things put together artfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was, what is it that Joanne Pelletier is doing in the story? Well, I think there's a lot that I don't see. You know, she doesn't telegraph. You just put your finger on it, like one thing anyway, that to really, to deliver a story like this, which in in my book is is not an easy story. She's having a conversation with someone whose memory is failing about someone who's been uh, gone for 15 years. She knows herself and what she's doing in the story. Sometimes a storyteller through different drafts comes to know uh, themselves a little bit better. I don't know what her experience was with this, but one thing that I admire that is just sort of a steady underlying thing in the story is that this storyteller really has clarity on who she is as she goes through this, this uh, story, you know, sort of questioning. She sounds like a, a real solid personality who is solid enough to still be open, you know, to call that guy back and and still be open to say, oh, he's asking me, no one's ever asked me, mm -hmm. what did my dad teach me about roofing? I love that part. I love that moment because I think a lot of people can relate to that. Have you ever had that feeling where like, well, why you never asked? Yeah. Like, it's like we've known each other for 20 years or whatever it may be. Well, you never asked. That question that she gets asked, like, what did your dad teach you? I thought about that in some of our conversations, Sean, about, you know, there's a problem. Someone has a problem. They give expression to the problem. And so often the other person in that conversation wants to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, mm -hmm. okay, you lose somebody, you get sympathy notes, you get sympathy calls. That's really, well, it was important to me to hear from people. I loved it to tell you the truth, but also there's no solving loss, you know, and as Joanne says in the story, like it comes back to you. Mm -hmm. And maybe um, what I really take away from the story on a very personal level is the reminder, hey, you know, we go through loss, your neighbors, your friends, your relatives will, and maybe it's just better, you know, after a week or so, when people start to sort of go away is call that person and say like, you know, what, what are you thinking about in terms of this person that you loved and lost? Like, just ask questions. I love that part of this, you know, like her voice lifts up when she gets out. She's very clear on what that meant to her to be asked that, that no one had asked her 
about that part of her relationship with her dad. Right. If you were trying to write a story with a lesson without wanting to make it sound like, hey, I'm trying to teach you a lesson, which a lot of stories do. And I think for me anyway, it doesn't feel great. Like, cause I know, hey, stop trying to teach me a lesson and tell me a story, right? When it's too heavy handed. This is an example for me of how you do that. And I don't even know if that was on a radar. The lesson here for me is express an interest in somebody's life or their relationship, ask them about it. And then want to know and be quiet and listen. She doesn't say any of that at all, ever, nothing. All she does is in the story, he asks a question and she responds, nobody's ever asked me that. But she didn't need to include it. She does. Why? Well, I don't know why. It's just that's a powerful moment that I think we can learn from, even though I don't think she's trying to necessarily teach us anything. Well, I, I agree with she knows better than to try to teach us something. She's creating something. She's telling a story without being didactic because she knows that puts you at arm's length. I think she needs to put this part in. I think she understands that, um, you know, to be asked was really important to her and it brings back so much for her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this phone call is so important because it's this unexpected connection with the person wait a second, I didn't even know anything about this part of my father's life. Mm -hmm. Do tell. And then the man says some things that she already knows. Uh, One that I happen to remember right now was the first thing in that that line. It was about like, you know, your dad... He was really hardworking. And I think she, he goes on to say how smart he was and how thorough and his reports were so good, I still own them. I mean, to be in that state of loss, which Joanne uh, is when she's getting this call. It's so, it does fill your heart. My dad lives in someone else. Hey, my father, Kurt, I want you to know about him. He was really hardworking and he had a lot of good friends and he was a nice dude, right? And he, well, that's cool. But if you hear that somebody in the story told me about my father and that as the listeners, how you learn about him, I think it's more powerful. Yeah, it's threaded. All the stuff that she loves about her dad gets threaded through this other voice. And all of these things that she's adding, which we can call, I suppose, detail or specificity, moves this story forward. It doesn't get stuck. I never found myself wandering away for nine minutes. Legitimately. I can't say this about every story always. Legitimately. Really listening to this story. Wanting to know what's happening next in it. And that's all you can ask for. Still thinking about threading, thinking about what you just said, yeah, advancing the story, definitely. Uh, but also threading some uh, personal details about about her dad through what this man says. And she doesn't hide, like she lets us know that it's good, she knows these things, but may, it makes a difference to hear it from someone else. So that is, uh, that's Joanne saying, you know, this is really how I think very detail oriented. She's paired it back. These are the ones I need to tell the story effectively. And, and I also get from Joanne, that means something to me, the storyteller. Like there isn't in my mind, anything out of place. Like this story in my mind, in my heart means a lot to Joanne. A couple of times she goes, Joanne goes into this kind of refrain about goddamn grief. Mm-hmm. And when you get past the ick and the et cetera, she, it's almost musical what she says. 
it really tells me that she goes back to that twice. And, you know, on the undercurrent here is, so the story is really about grief. And it reminds me to listen to the story about how I've never experienced anything more self-indulgent, self-involved than in my life than being in grief. Mm -hmm. When I was deeply uh, in grief, it was really about how I felt about things. I felt very alone, even though I had tons of people around me. Uh, there were moments of intense uh, aloneness. So part of it was, it's just a conversation that you're having with someone who's gone. And so part of it is, holy shit, they're gone. There's only one side of this conversation. Then logically, you're left with, okay, that's a seems to be a huge responsibility. What am I supposed to capture about this person's entire life? She does such a good job of saying, look, my father, when I'm talking to this guy, my, in, in my recollection, sometimes he's summed up by a Coke in a protractor. Right. In Joanne, in Joanne's voices, I hear like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to remember this really important figure in your life through a Coke and a protractor. It's actually kind of sweet. Through that, there's the lens of like all the stuff, all those Saturdays, all mm -hmm. those lessons, but all these memories and the sights and the sounds and the drives with their father and look up, every roof has a story. Look up. The real artists are the laborers up there doing their thing. That she sees through a can of Coke in a protractor. It's pretty cool. Relatable. I think uh, you're probably better off trying to convey these difficult things, these grief or love or these big ideas through a coke and a protractor than anything else not specifically a coke and a protractor whatever the coke and protractor is for your story that might be a good way an effective way honest way to convey some of these difficult things that we struggle to do in life and in story yeah uh, i loved him so much he was the greatest guy ever i love 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 him it doesn't land I, maybe it's something. It's not like a problem. And hey, if that's how you want to put things together, that's cool. But boy, oh boy, if you could show us something through something with such specificity or such, just you can imagine it. You can imagine her holding the protractor or the Coke with her father. That illustrates to us what you're probably wanting us to get from it or what you're wanting to give to us just as well, maybe even better than big ideas and big words. That said, it's not always the easiest thing to do. You typically have to work at that and figure it out and say, all right, what are those things? And then how do I put them into this piece of work, piece of art story so that it, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad you said that it might be my biggest takeaway now that you brought it up about specificity in the finite, we can see the infinite. And also I've been thinking about Joanne Pelletier as a very grounded person. And the reason is I could imagine a less experienced storyteller saying, wait, Coke? protract this is how i'm remembering this man and right. sort of dismiss it instead joanne knows enough she's like no no those are good details yeah. those need to be in the story that's my experience of loss largely it's through these two objects isn't it funny to be alive to be human and to just sort of get to see how the memory works sometimes in the heart yeah. i know you've had your share of loss and grief you've pointed out that at some point in your life if you're alive you've invariably had some of that yeah. uh, i've had actually uh not a lot of it given Good. my age uh <laughs> i've had you know i lost my best friend and mm -hmm. my experience was different 
yeah, I didn't have those opportunities to really talk too much about him. When I was listening to the story, I was thinking, what would it be like if I had a phone call with somebody that knew him and me and both of us quite well? What would that be like? What questions would I have? And what questions would I want to answer? And would I want to call back? I'm not done. Hang on. I know you got to go, but wait, there's more. Chase it. Hmm. You're giving that thing that's been dying life. The person's gone, but the relationship, while always alive, fades a little bit or it something. Maybe people will push back on my wording and say, no, it never fight. Okay, okay. I don't see pushback because we each have our own experience. Sure. This, right? but, but time changes things a little bit. Yeah. Uh, your memory changes a little bit. Yeah. I'm sure if I had a phone call with somebody who knew us, there would be things we talked about or que- that I had not only forgotten, but would have never remembered, would have never popped up in my head. And I'd love that. So I, there's a sort of joy that I have for her in this phone call, but the joy is coupled with not the opposite of joy, but some sadness simultaneously. Oh, no doubt. Bittersweet. That's what makes it really good. You could argue any art. That's what makes it good. You have the feeling. I'm left with a feeling. I, I get to decide this. She doesn't. She just puts the work out there. I take it how I want to take it. And I'm yeah. sure she's okay with that. But the way she's crafted it, the way she ends it, it's, ah, nice. It really is. She's filled with joy. Her heart's, her heart's filled. And there's that sense of something that's gone or lost. Like the two together work really nicely. It's very human. It, it's hard to do, but when you get it right, it's really great. It's just great. It's, it's good. You know, there's acceptance. Something. There's acceptance of, of her loss. And, uh, but there's also this knowledge that this quirky, this quirky message left on her voicemail. Yeah. On her dad's old landline can lead to this co- important conversation. My heart is full because really, to me, that's what this this story is. Yeah, and I also want to throw in there just on a on a personal note. I said earlier about how you know Joanne, what I got was like, okay, when someone in your life has lost, ask questions instead of you know lunging forward with solutions because there are no solutions. I want to remember that always. Another thing is um. What I noticed was when, when people would come forward and tell me stories about the person I lost so that I could see them again in, in 3D or even see parts of the person I lost that I never thought of or never got to see. It definitely put a smile on my face during a, a really hard time. It was important. It always goes back to stories. I mean, they're yeah. really important. So mm-hmm. back then when I was going through that thing, people mm-hmm. would emerge you know, and just tell me stories about that person. Right. Not solutions. They might well, tell me stories or ask me questions. Share stories and ask questions. And all the other stuff that you think you need to do, you probably don't. So, yeah. That's it with humans always, period. Like, you could just stop it there. If somebody's new or newer to storytelling and they're listening to the story as an example, we talked earlier about some of the moments, the details, the specificity that she uses. So if that is something that we want people to better understand and apply one image I got when I was learning, started to learn how to write was every word on the paper is in a wrestling match with the, they're fighting to stay there. No, I like that. It needs to be that intense. And a lot of us go from page to what they call page to stage, or, or just you start telling stories. So when I'm teaching, I'm telling my students, yeah, it's true. 
these stories are made up of details. But when you're telling a story, it's a relationship, it's a threshold, it's a balance that you're trying to achieve. You don't want to bog down. The most important thing for you is not to be boring. And by describing the wallpaper and the drapery and the carpet, you're going to start to bore. You have to advance the action. So Mm -hmm. every detail is in a wrestling match with the other. It's fighting to stay alive in the story. It has to mean something to you. And what I get from Joanne Pelletier's story is everything that she has to say is meaningful. She's gone over it. I just want to show a couple of ways that I heard that Joanne, you know, because you have to advance the action in storytelling or you're going to leave people. You're going to people are going to start looking at their phone. Okay, so she's talking to this guy whose memory is failing, but she wants us to know that the conversation's starting to deepen. It's actually having starting to have some import. And she says in one line, our conversation starts to flow past the initial awkwardness. So in my mind, I'm like, beautiful. Thank you. Okay. I have a different uh, lens through which to look at this story. Okay. And then she starts to tell us some of the details that really matter. And, and I love that part. And then another one is during a phone, the phone conversation with this man. Um, she says, 90 minutes. We're talking. We're talking like we know we have to stop. That tells me so much about where she's gone in 90 minutes with this person and wh- how much it means to her. Yeah, she shows us and advances the story, lets us know. She doesn't tell us how to feel. I would love love for, you know, my students to try to, you know, be really choosy. Also to keep in mind, you know, the details are important, but you you got to keep the action going along too. One thing that Joanne does that she does go from like that inner conversation into the action of the story in a really really cool way. You know, a sensory detail you know, that she brings to this phone call is about her heart that's completely emptied when her dad died 15 years ago. But through this conversation, she's made to feel better. Her heart is full. And she, mm-hmm. What happened to your dad? Did he die of cancer? Yeah, my dad died of cancer. He had a uh, glioblast. I've written it down. Okay. So a glioblastoma, multiform, a fast moving brain tumor. He was gone within three months. I recite the diagnosis like it was yesterday. Why? Because there's a lot of emotion attached to that. She's never going to forget it because, because she loved her dad. This is specificity. This is where it gets you. It tells you that Joanne loved the hell out of her dad without having to listen to this person say, oh, my dad, I loved him. No, she gives it to us in a way that we're going to hear and, and remember maybe and also relate to. I love my dad doesn't really say a lot to me. Mm-hmm. I remember the diagnosis like it was yesterday speaks volumes, a Coke and a protractor. Like, okay, what does that mean to me? What, what would I like for that to mean to a student? Well, you know, try to see in, in the finite, the Coke and the protractor that reminds you of that person, try to see the infinite. Infinite is love. Love is infinite. It has no bounds. Even 15 years after the object of your love has passed away. It's amazing what something so finite and mundane, like a can of Coke and a damn protractor, is just going to spring this whole world open to you. Your heart is full. It's what a lot of creative people are doing. They're, they're taking seriously the specks of sand that they find inside. And they're saying, no, no, that's, that's loaded yeah. with meaning. And I'm brave enough to put it out there. I believe in myself and the story. Here you go. Hey, Kurt, I've got another angle on the detail and specificity thing, especially as it relates to 
audience. You were excited. If you want to tell a story about being a villain in any way without your audience turning on you, and if you want to tell a story about being a victim in any other way without the, the, the audience pitying you, and if you want to tell a story about being some kind of victor without the audience, what's the word, being like, Oh, Whatever. here's a hero story. Such a Thanks, pal. Shit. The way, one way to do that, it's not the only way, but one way to do any of those. They all happen to begin with V, by the way. I didn't realize that. Victim. Oh, that's it. That sounds like another episode. Is all these damn got B. to take us into moments and get really v- specific and uh, real with how you're feeling because we will be able on some level to probably connect to you. If Kurt did a bad thing, whatever that means, well, sure, okay, it's not a great thing. It's a bad thing. He wants to tell us a story about it. But boy, oh boy, if we get a good sense of how Kurt was feeling earlier that day and he got in a fight with his wife and his blood was boiling and he was really having a hard time controlling his emotions and later on, blah, 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 and then you exploded at the person and we really understand, well, I think you're taking us into your world with that kind of specificity and we're more likely to be like, oh, okay, I I, I mean, he's still kind of a jerk for doing that, I guess, but I've been in that spot before. I can relate, yeah. Yeah, and in all that, there's uh, there's some work to do, right? You're like, what's the work. best way to do this? And that's sure. what I hear in Joanne's story too. Like, she's done a lot of work to make this all, this nine minute story really sing. There are a lot of details, I imagine, just uh, that she ca- had to cast off. You know, she thought they were good ideas for a while. And I think if she's she's anything like other storytellers I know, you know, she really had to do some work to make sure that these details uh, deserve to be in the story. And you know what the my favorite part of it is? What's she that? Ends, my favorite part of Joanne's story is that she ends with heart totally earned it's not a pat ending it's like oh yeah how's my heart yeah still full what was the most challenging part of the story Capturing the dynamic of a conversation and a story is always really interesting to me. So using changes in voice and pace to show the back and forth in conversations, um, reflecting the way people really do speak to one another. And as I thought back to the conversation, I remembered the changes in our voices as our connection grew. Time was also a really important part of the story. I had been looking at my phone during the call thinking, wow, I've been talking 30 minutes and then an hour and then 90 minutes. I mean, this really happened. But the time references help, I think, move the story forward. It shows the growing connection we had in the call, as in you probably wouldn't spend 90 minutes talking to someone for whom you felt no connection. In some of my stories, I I move between internal dialogue, me thinking to myself, and what's really happening in the story, because at least for me, that's true to life. But this was really important for the story, because as much as it's about the phone call from a stranger, it's really more about grieving, about the way we remember people we love. For me, this this call, the story, was just a huge gift, bringing back um, 
a deep connection uh, I had to my dad and his work uh, and his art and in a way his memory thanks <laughs>